Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. Joining us on the podcast today is Dan Shaw-Bell. He wrote the book, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. Dan is a New York Times bestselling author. He's a partner and research director of Future Workplace. And he's a millennial and has been, this is not his first book, and he has uh, been sort of a voice of a generation to some degree, or at least looking at the generation and kind of understanding its impact on our lives in the current workplace and the world today. So it's a real pleasure to have Dan on the podcast. Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast, Dan. Happy to be here, Peter. Always good catching up. So give us the big picture overview of Back to Human. What's the main idea behind the book? Technology has created the illusion that we're all connected when in reality, our overuse and misuse of that technology has made us more isolated, lonely, disconnected from our teams, uh, and less committed to our organizations. Great. And I think that everybody listening could probably see ways in which technology has been helpful and ways in which technology has disconnected them. So the the, the idea is important and, and I'm sure resonates. I'm curious, you know, like you're a young guy, right? I can say that now that I think I'm a young guy, but I've gotten a little older. You're more facile with these technologies than someone 20 or 30 years older than you. And I'm curious what, what you've seen happen in your life that have led you to say, I want to write this book and, and what experiences have drawn you to the subject? Multiple experiences. The first thing is we both live in Manhattan and when you're in the subway, when you're walking around the street, when you're in a co-working space, wherever you are in this city, there's so many people yet at, at some level you can feel very isolated and alone. It's because wherever you are, people are focused more on the technology devices that they're using instead of the people around them. So we feel like we're around so many people, but no one at the same time. People are physically near us, but not emotionally, spiritually, or mentally. And while devices can be a good distraction at points or, or, or buy us time or allow us to connect with other people, at the end of the day, the most important thing is relationships. And I knew this when I was just out of college. Like I would use technology. I was very early into blogging in 2006 to connect with all sorts of people who were my age looking to build careers online. And while it was great to connect with them, my network and my relationships only grew in person. And over the past decade, I've met most of them in person, and I've expanded my network using technology as a bridge to human relationships, not as a barrier. And that's the main message that I'm trying to get across is when I interviewed 100 young leaders from 100 of the biggest companies in the world, Johnson & Johnson, Ernst & Young, GE, Uber, Facebook, you name it, they all said technology is a double-edged sword. Whether it's good or bad, the most important thing is how you're using it and not to misuse it. And the other the other inspiration is every book I've written, my first book, Me 2.0, help people get from college to their first job. 
promote yourself with first job to management. And then this one's a leadership book and back to human. And the first book was heavily focused on technology. Calling it Me 2.0 is at the height of the Web 2.0 movement before we went from Web 2.0 to social media, which is the same thing, different term. Uh, and now the pendulum is swung the other way. I think that regardless of who you are, how old you are, if you're a man or a woman, we have the inherent inboard need to connect and build relationships. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs after safety and security and food and shelter. It's about love and friendships. Otherwise, we'll never be self-actualized. And, and just like there's only 24 hours in a day, no matter how much technology we have and how many robots we work alongside, we're still going to need to connect to people on a human basis. And that's, that's a core focus of why I wrote this book. Now, you grew up without not knowing technology. Right. Like it's a double negative. But you you grew up with te technology was was the you know, you breathed it along with air. And I'm curious about like what led to your discovery, your personal discovery that this wasn't working for you because you're skilled at it. You've written books about it. And, you know, we all know plenty of people who live and die by it and. And actually do find social connection in it in certain ways. So I'm curious, like, what happened for you that you came to the realization that this wasn't working? Yeah. Uh, first, I want to say that when I grew up with technology, it's not even remotely close to what we have today. Like, I feel old talking about the technology I used growing up. Like, the first Mac I had was, had this massive floppy disk that you would insert into it. I don't even remember what it, it was called it was so uh, long so ago. So it's definitely not the same way my kids are growing up with technology, which is no. they, you know, they are they, – they don't know a time without cell phones and Instagram. Correct. Yeah, if you're born today, you don't know what Blockbuster Video is, what Toys R Us is. You probably already have a Netflix account. Your parents might have bought your domain name. You uh, will never own a, a phone that can't take a picture. So it's, it's completely different. And that's how you, your view of the world is different based on when, when you grow up and what technology you have access to. Because the technology gives you, to, gives you access to more information, people, and resources that, uh, earlier in life. That's why high school, half of high school students have an internship now. That's why companies are trying to get into middle schools because they want to influence people's career decisions earlier because people have access to more information so they're starting to make those decisions earlier. So completely transformational. Uh, when I was trying to stand out online and you know in interviews in college, I had a CD portfolio of work. If you're born now, you probably don't even know what a CD is. Right. And so I think I'm, it hit me I'm hard. making you out to be to a, a little younger than you actually are. Yeah. And I was going to a Mets game once and I saw two people on the subway. Uh, one had a, a Sony Walkman. One had a like a cassette recorder. And then the other person was, I think, 12 years old looking at both of them like they were aliens. And that kind of showed me that things have really changed. And for me, when did I realize this? I, I myself was very isolated and lonely at, you know, being an introvert, working from home for eight years. I recognized that I wasn't getting enough human connection and it was making me, you know, depressed. And then even when I was going out, like, let's say you don't talk to someone and have no human interaction for three, four or five days. And then you go to an event, you feel socially awkward, or at least I do. And so I'm like, how do I, how do I prevent this from happening? How do I get more 
uh, connection with my business partners or my teammates because I was a solopreneur and now I have two business partners. I have a team and I've just made a lot of more friends and connections in the city. So I'm, I'm trying to structure my day so I have time to be focused because I, in order for me to write and, and hone my craft, I have to work just by myself uh, remotely. But at the same time, I also need the human connection. So I need to structure my day. So I'm meeting people in person for coffee, for lunch and going to events. So I, I integrate personal with professional with work-life integration so that I'm able to maximize each day. So I'm getting the best of both. So let, let's look at, because I, I can almost ask you the opposite question now that I know that you're, you're like a little older than I was placing you out to be, which is like maybe you and I don't fully appreciate the social connections that exist through technology, that when my kids are on Instagram, you know, a, a lot, that they are actually feeling the social connection with their friends who are also posting on Instagram. And then they might text each other about it or they might chat about it that aren't those way – because, you know, and, 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 and let's stretch this over to the workplace, which is, you know, that's the reality of our workplaces too, which is that there's more and more companies that have that are virtual where people are working from all over the place. There's more and more situations where we're working globally and we have to connect with people, you know, using these technologies. The the inefficiency of face-to-face, -face, if you've got, you know, eight team members and they're all in different countries, becomes untenable to, you know, bring them together too often. So I'm curious about whether we have to just learn ways of leveraging these technologies to understand it the way a 15-year-old mind understands it, or whether there's something inherently uh, antisocial and sort of depressing about living our lives through technology. So it's a double-edged sword, like I was saying before. One of the most interesting research studies came out a few weeks ago, and it found that teenagers, for the first time ever, would rather text than have an in-person conversation. So millennials and and Gen X and baby boomers and the silent generation would far prefer in-person communication. But teenagers now, the people who you're talking about, would much rather text. And it's the first time that's ever happened. And to me, once they head into the workplace, that's going to be game-changing, right? That's going to change everything. It's, it's going to create a lot of misunderstanding, maybe weaker relationships. So I think technology is good as a, as a bridge. I, I think that you know, technology can remove the work you don't want to do through artificial intelligence and technology can get everyone into the same conference room or social event or uh, meeting. And then once you're there, if you're still using that technology, if you're looking down instead of at other people, it's disrespectful and you're not really there. Like, what's the point of even being in that room? And so I think that. But I can you know, imagine a 15 year old saying, I don't want to be in that room. Like I'm, maybe I'm not an extrovert. I don't like being in that room. It's totally inefficient to be in that room. I'd rather actually text and I can get done what you guys get done in an hour in a meeting. I could get done in 10 minutes by, you know, texting more transactionally and getting stuff done. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one study. There's if someone has an average of 150 Facebook friends, they can only rely on three at a, at a time of an emotional crisis, meaning that all these teenagers who will eventually be workers, they think that they have good relationships with their coworkers, but in reality, they're weaker relationships 
that are being developed through texting and email, and there's more understanding. So I'll give you an example. So I, I work with Virgin Pulse. We surveyed over 2,000 managers, employees in 10 countries, and we found that the biggest thing that gets in the way of human connection in the workplace right now is email. Yet there was a study in the Harvard Business Review you could be familiar with that says one face-to-face -face conversation is more successful than 34 emails back and forth. Because instead of going back and forth or texting back and forth, all you have to do is walk a foot and, and tell people what you actually mean. Now, I'm not saying technology isn't useful. I think it's extremely useful, of course. I built a lot of my career on it. In the workplace, if you want to remind somebody to go to a meeting, a text message makes complete sense. But if you get into a work conflict and the biggest uh, soft skill that people heading or graduating from school have and don't have is conflict resolution, right? Because they're so busy using the technology, they, they think the technology is going to solve their problems and resolve conflicts for them, but it's not. And that's why as a leader, it's really important to have these face-to-face, -face, meaningful, deep conversations. One of the biggest things I talked about in the book was about work friendships. And the reason why these friendships are so important is because there is no nine to five work day in America, especially it's a 47 hour work week. And then not having your phone is the new vacation where managers expect employees to respond to emails, phone calls and text messages outside of office hours and even on weekends and on vacations. And because of that, the work you're doing is very important, right? If you if you don't have meaningful work that you're excited about and that plays to your strengths, you're probably not going to stay at the job very long. And if you're not doing work with people that you can learn from that are challenging uh, you intellectually and that you get along with, you're probably going to leave too. So the work you do and the people who you do it with are the most important by far. It's not the brand you work for. It's not where it's located. It is that is work. And what we found in the book through the Virgin Pulse study is that 7% of the global workforce has zero friends at work and half of the global workforce has five or fewer. And this is important because people my age see their boss as their work parent and their coworkers as their work family. And after studying workplace cultures for over a decade, I've discovered that the best work cultures, the ones that are on the best place to work list are the ones that feel like a family, feel like you're part of something bigger than you, where you have real purpose, where you feel like you belong, you're happy, and you're part of something where you're going in, in the right direction and there's some sort of innovation. And so to me, I think friendships are really important because we're spending so much time at work. If we lack it, it doesn't fulfill our needs. And if we have a horrible day at work because our leader made fun of us or our coworker uh, took credit for our work, that's going to affect our home life. And in our home, if we get into an argument with our partner or our child or our friend, it affects that's going to affect our work life. Right. So it's, everything's very well connected at this point. So that means a few things. It means we should have more flexibility at work or in the office to do personal things and out, because outside of work, we're expected to do work things. So, this is, so work is kind of everywhere at every time and you know, new boundaries have to be created, of course, and we have to be able to personally integrate work with life. 
and we have to get both right. And you know, that's why you and I focus a lot on work is because if we can make work a better experience, it's going to help someone's entire life. So let's get concrete about what you learned both in the research and also in your own life around what solves this? How do you go from that feeling of disconnection to a feeling of connection, especially when you're in an environment in which other people are still using that technology? So I could be at dinner with someone and not bring my phone, but if they brought their phone, I'm going to get frustrated when they go on their phone, especially if I'm not on my phone. So what advice can you give us or what specific tips or techniques can help us leverage the good of technology and avoid its destructiveness? The biggest thing that came out in the research in, in terms of how to solve it and create a more socialized workforce is to have social events. That's how you create more engagement and fulfill people's personal needs. Yet 20% of organizations globally have zero company outings, workations, they don't celebrate office birthday parties. They don't do anything. And yet these things don't really cost that much money. Even having one offsite per year uh, and to create more team building activities. So let's talk about uh, those two things. Very important. It's, because a social event versus an offsite feel very different to me. And a social, an offsite feels really important and useful and get everyone who's critical to getting something done in a room and create alignment and collaboration and move forward. When I think about like birthday parties and social events like that, it's the kind of thing that people sort of roll their eyes at a little bit and th and kind of go to because they have to go to, or you know, a company dinner they kind of go to because they have to go to. But it's almost like the friendship has to precede the event. The event itself doesn't create the friendship. It has been my experience. So I'm curious what you've seen around that. The only way to create a real friendship is to talk about things that don't have to do with work. You know, think about all the people you're friends with. If all you do is talk about work with them, there's no deeper connection that leads to a true friendship. So I think that as a leader, opening up, being honest, talking about things that normally you might not talk about within HR limits, of course. And I think that is a great way of opening up and creating a, a good culture where people can open up as well. Like as a leader, you know, being empathetic and vulnerable and talking about what's actually happening in the organization, what you're going through, the challenges, is a good way to connect with people because people desire reality, they desire human connection, they desire a level of authenticity and transparency in the people they work with and those who lead them. So I think by doing that, and then having an office birthday party, people are more inclined to attend because they already feel like they belong. They already feel like they have people they can count on. They already feel that um, they already know everyone on a personal level. So they want they want to go and they encourage to go. And and actually, they'll all chip in and say, hey, what can I, what can we bring to the party and who's buying what gift? And let's contribute each ten dollars to a hundred dollar gift for the individual. And so I see this happening all the time. And I interviewed a ton of people for the book, you know, like uh, a VP at GE, Jennifer Schoper, that uh, I interviewed. She said that, you know, her coworkers are some of her closest friends. You know, they came to her wedding. She goes to their wedding. Like, that's what we're trying to go for here is is a reason why you have so many people who date coworkers. It's because it's such a big pool and we spend a third of our lives working. Uh, so it's really about creating the environment. I mean, if you think about even for a small team to a large company, you can do it with whomever, like for us, 
at uh, Future Workplace. We are going to a Broadway show at the end of the year to celebrate. We have dinners. Every Monday we have a call to get everyone on the same page so everyone knows what everyone's doing, even though you know some of us, like me, work remote. We're always in touch. We're always, we text sometimes too, but we need more than texting. It's just not enough to maintain the relationship. I always tell people if I didn't see my teammates or my business partners for a whole year, I'd be checked out. I'd be on to starting another company. And what do you say to someone who says, look, I go to work in order to get work done and I'm working enough already. So I want to, you know, like if I'm already working 10 hour days, I don't really want to work a 12 hour day because I'm talking to people about personal stuff. I want to really get our work done and get out and get to my family, which is what I want to do. How do you respond to that? So my goal is to encourage more human relationships, but if they want to set those boundaries, that's their life. Right. But I will say if they were working in an environment where the leader was supportive and empathetic and they got along with everyone because when they were interviewing and being onboarded into the company that they were they created some great relationships, just like going to school, like the first few weeks you get oriented and if you meet some great people, maybe you room with them. So like it's the same with companies too. And if you get along with them, you're more likely to want to stay. You're more likely to say, hey, Jen or Mike, you know, you want to get lunch today. What's happening in the workplace, even if you go to a physical office, people lack the human connection. So many people will take lunch at their cubicle instead of actually asking a coworker to lunch. Um, you saw the recent research, you know, up until recently, 70% of global office spaces uh, had no partitions or, or low partitions, right? And the reason is because research came out many years ago that if you have an open office space, people are, you know, connecting more, collaborating, and collaborating better. But new research shows that's not true. Uh, and and then further research shows that, like I was saying before, and I think you'd agree, is I think you need alone time, but that I think you need to have collaborative team meetings. Uh, I think having both, I, I don't think you can just do one or the other. I think ha integrating and doing both is extremely helpful. Like I need time, especially, a, you know, as an introvert and a writer, and we can relate to this, uh, to just be focused, get this work done, write this book, you know, do this webinar, whatever I need to do. And then I need time to collaborate because if I'm not meeting people, if I'm not talking with a team, I feel like there's a lot of uh, lost ideas. And when I'm meeting people, I come up with even better ideas because uh, I like to work with people who have the same values, but a different background and different way of thinking than me, because that's how I learn and, and better ideas are formed that make us more innovative and effective. Okay, we're out of time, but just to finish off, one quick suggestion, highest leverage thing that you can come up with to help someone make strong headway, an individual, not necessarily a leader in an organization, but strong headway to break the addiction to the technology and to create real relationship. Smartest thing you can do is use the technology like a Google Calendar, Outlook Calendar to set time aside every Monday, every Tuesday, you know, twice a week to organize a lunch with your team or just to do a check-in. Uh, simple, effective, works because I've lived it and sometimes the small things, the small things using technology can actually have a huge impact. You just don't realize it till down the road. That's great. Dan Shawbell, the book is Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. 
Look up from your four-inch screen, smile at someone, and have a conversation. Thanks, Dan, so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast. If you did, it would really help us if you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A common problem that I see in companies is a lot of busyness, a lot of hard work that fails to move the organization as a whole forward. That's the problem that we solve with our Big Arrow process. For more information about that or to access all of my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you, Claire Marshall, for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.